We'll now to a son's tribute to Murray Ball, the late cartoonist who created Footrot Flats and other iconic New Zealand characters. Murray passed away in 2017 and his son Mason has written the first biography of him, Murray Ball, A Cartoonist's Life. In the preface, Mason writes, Knowing him as a son, I hope to do him a service, albeit posthumously, by gathering up the memories before time washed them away. Seared into New Zealand cartoon history are the football flats, comic strip characters, essentially a black singleted farmer, Wal and his dog, dog, well, that dog, we've just been arguing about that, haven't we? But over almost 20 years, plenty of other characters were developed, including Aunt Dolly, Cooch and Pongo. Oh, they've left out. Who was the love interest? Cheeky Hobson. Cheeky Hobson's been Cheeky left Hobson out. Cheeky Hobson and Horse. That's right. Horse yes. was the cat, one of my favourites. A stage play was based on the cartoon and an animated feature film. Mason Ball's in the studio with me. Congratulations. Oh, Great thanks to have so that much. Done. Very personal too. And why did you want to be the person to write this? Yeah, that's a good question, Catherine. So, yeah, well, I figured if I didn't write it, then somebody else would. And I wanted to make an authentic account that didn't really focus too much on the foot rot flat side of things, which I, I thought would probably be the, the main point that somebody else writing his biography would want to get across. He was an extremely astute, intelligent man, your father, wasn't he? And let's look at a little bit of his background and what you want to know about him. He was rugby mad. He had all black ambitions as a young man. Yes, definitely. Yeah, that was a big part of his makeup was his rugby background and it came through in his work as well. It was a lasting memory. It was the kind of thing he talked about having rugby dreams that would were recurring nightmares uh, of his rugby days. So it definitely shaped who he was and also the way he worked and the way he motivated himself when he moved into an- another area of of uh, another realm, if you like. You write of him being very disciplined. Yes, definitely. He was yeah, a role model in that respect. And he had to be, really, because he was self-employed and he was very protective and sure to make uh, he'd like to make it very plain to see that he was he was a full time cartoonist, not a hobby. It was no hobby to him. He was fully committed to the whole idea of it being a job, and yeah, and so that involved a schedule and definite parameters as to when he worked. He could also switch off. You know, he had times ways of switching off that helped him, but. He lived on a farm, uh, on our small holding to begin with, and that gave him a lot of ideas as he went along. He had an interesting journey to that, though. Uh, He worked on a newspaper after uni, took up job as a cartoonist at another paper quite early on, and then worked as a teacher while getting himself established as as a freelancer. And there was quite a bit of travel when you were a young lad. You were just a a baby, I think, when they were off to England, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think by the age of seven I'd been around the world, so I had my my mother's English and my dad was from New Zealand, and we'd gravitated between the two by that time. Uh, Been to South Africa, where I also had family. And, yeah, so there was, yeah, there was a lot of, there was a lot of travel in those early days, and the result was that I got actually very 
spoiled because I got to spend a lot of time with my mum and dad. What was he like as a dad? It's fantastic, yeah. Especially in those early days. During the Footrot Flats years, he was very absorbed and had lots of time constraints and lots of workload, and it made him quite stressed. But he he always had time for family, and he was a great supporter of things like, you know, our sport, for example. Uh, and he always involved us in things as much as possible. It was probably more more us that didn't want to be involved as we grew up as teenagers, my brother and I, my sister. But, yeah, no, he was a fantastic dad. <clears throat> and later on, we went through a phase where perhaps we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things when I was young and headstrong and he was... You know, his old dogmatic self but we came back to a point where we had a really good understanding in his later years What were some of the things you differed on I mean all kids and fathers will but as an insight to him and his values what what were some of the things you might point to Yeah well I, I respected a lot of his values and I understood a lot of where he came from He, but it was it was ever present with Dad. He was very much the political animal, and it would come out at all times, like during dinner time and stuff. And he would say contentious stuff, I think, just to get the ball rolling. And uh, yeah, so we had we had points of difference. He didn't like, you know, drinking culture. So as I grew up as a teenager, and I went off the rails slightly at times, you know, he had no respect for that kind of thing or no time for it, and. Yeah, I think there was a during those years especially we just had different views. Oh, I remember another one when I came back to Gisborne from an overseas trip, backpacking, and had a job as a wait as a waiter, and he would come along with Mum for morning tea, and it was always really lovely to see them because they'd sort of come along and support you, and uh, but he didn't like the way that he didn't like people accepting tips. He had a thing about thing about that and and I sort of had an I remember having a disagreement not an argument but a disagreement with him about that because you know I had was on the minimum wage and if somebody gave me a tip I was I would take it without any questions what would you say his core values were he he was a man of a certain era but he also lived through mm. and indeed cartooned through some of the mm. most tumultuous social change we mm. had so what would you say was essential to his values yeah, there was a lot of that in that that era material in the book, isn't there? There's, it's he did live through, or, or he was at his peak really during the Foot Rot Flats, uh, during the Springbok Tour years. Uh, there was the professionalism of rugby. His core values, though, were probably a little bit more to give everybody a fair go. Uh, he he would probably be the first to call it socialism, though that's. It's putting a label on it, really. I think for the most part, he just believed in people having a fair go, being able to get fair pay, decent conditions when they went to work, to be able to afford their own home. Those kind of sort of basic things. He'd be writing some pretty frustrated cartoons at the moment. So you mentioned Gisborne, and after the sort of the peripatetic years where there was a lot of travel and he was teaching and getting himself established, I think there was a breakthrough overseas. He got a regular gig with Punch magazine, wasn't it? Um, And then he came back and and to Gisborne and to the farm. So how much was that farm 
and some of the characters uh, who evolved in Foot Rot Flats. Your neighbours, your relatives, you, the the cat. <laughs> how much did he draw on that daily experience in developing these characters, and how much was pure imagination? Well, yeah, that that was definitely the catalyst that got him started. He was reconnecting with New Zealand at that point and remembering all the things he'd missed while he'd been away in England, where he'd, he'd sort of launched his cartooning career. And he was noticing all those things around him, and it was definitely a case of picking up what he found on the farm and turning it around and thinking how what he could make with it. And... A lot, yeah. Like you say, Catherine, he had there were there was a pigs pigs on one side, there were horses on the other side. He had his sheep used to pretty much come up and nibble the grass right by the back door of his studio. He had animals everywhere. He had the chickens on the compost heap, a stone throw away. They were all the all the ingredients were there really, and I guess he. Because he was connecting, he was somewhat nostal- he was nostalgic by nature. And so when he was back with that kind of stuff, it, it, for, I think he said at one point that Fort Flats was an expression or an extension of his love, where a lot of his other cartooning works were more um, focused on the political side. This was work- when he was working for newspapers, um, a side of, the, of that strip. Yeah. So who inspired... Uh, Wall. I've just remembered, I don't think we've ever seen Wall's eyes. Wall's eyes are always squished under his head. Mm, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Very prominent nose. Yeah. Um, and, of course, the, the, the irrepressible black singlet. Um, I'm thinking of another great character, um, of course, and, and Fred Dagg, yeah. same image around the same time. Right. But who was it who inspired well, Dad rough had a, but lovable Wall? Yeah, well, Dad had a cousin, Arthur War, who he'd grown up with in fielding and had worked with on the farm, on his uncle's farm, and out the back of fielding there. And I think it was, he's always been the the, the basis for the character. And there's actually a plate in the book, uh, which is the first recorded drawing of Wall Footrot. And that was based on, yeah, Arthur War, who was his cousin. So he did, he did a sketch of his cousin. And you can see even there the sort of beginnings. A lot of Dad's characters had... Um, Evolved over time, they'd come in, they'd almost come in through other cartoon strips sometimes, and yeah. So Wolf Footrot was based on Arthur War, and Cooch, of course, was kind of the sidekick. But we have yeah. to talk about Dog because the Dog. I see. I'm a the Dog, but I can't remember if it was Dog or the Dog. Yeah. <laughs> it depends what the situation was. Who would have ever thought that a little sheep dog? would become essentially the star, literally, of a, mm. of a show. Because what your father did was put so much of the day-to-day human experiences of working a farm or of living into an animal. He, he put the most interesting character into the dog. What insight can you give us about that? Yeah, well, it's hard to know why he chose the dog a dog, because... He didn't. He hadn't had a lot of experience with dogs, except perhaps on his uncle's farm, and he'd had his own dog when he was a teenager. But to be honest, I'm not sure. I, I heard somebody say or make the comment that the dog was him the other day, and I thought, well, yeah, actually, I can see what you mean by that because it was almost like that was the 
the narrator that the mouthpiece for his own way of looking at things i yeah it's it's maybe complicated in terms of like how do you isolate why exactly yes. he he was also that well you mentioned his his passion for the working man working person who works harder on a damn farm hmm. than a sheepdog and hmm. um it was almost like the dog was the underdog uh doing all the work <laughs> putting up with all this stuff with a smile on his face and then there would always be something each day that would, you know, come in and, and dump on him or whatever. Uh, so maybe he's the representative in some ways, not overthinking it, of the working person's gold. That dog. Yeah, I think that's bang on. I mean, it, it, the dog is definitely a centrepiece of the farm and he admired animals, Dad. You know, he he admired not just dogs but or working dogs, but he did admire working dogs Went to the sheep trials, the dog trialing, and things like that. So he he really loved that. He loved the the way animals moved, and yeah, Just, my favourite was Cecil the ram. Yeah, <laughs> trotting in every rutting season or whatever the hell you call it, with his to be blunt, his manhood dragging along the ground because he was so old <laughs> he would spring through the gates with a big grin on his face and then flop over exhausted against a fence there was, yeah. there was so many characters um, did the dog did he ever have a name for the dog because of course the dog was infamously embarrassed about the name that who gave him, did Aunt Dolly give him a name or someone gave him a name did he ever have an actual name in mind? Because I don't think he ever revealed one. Well, from what he's told me, he always had a name, but he just... It started out that he couldn't work it into the goings-on of the cartoon strip in a comfortable way. And the longer he held it back, the more he realised, perhaps, that it was better kept a secret. And it obviously generated a, a sort of a side theme... Which which name is too embarrassing for a sheepdog? That's right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and we can all speculate, you know, as to as to what it might have been. My, my mother is the only person who knows the name. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, she's not about to tell anyone either. Either I don't think. What What is it from writing this book, which is an emotional experience as well as a discipline, to use that word? Mm. What is it that would most surprise people, or perhaps surprised you, about your dad? Um, I think it's his drive, really, mm. his his single-minded belief in himself that that took him through the years where, you know, probably five years or so of really not making any money from cartooning, and he had he was lucky we had we had the support of my grandfather, and also support of mum who always believed in him. She wasn't the kind of person who would say, well, why don't you try something different? Or, you know, we've had a go at this. Let's let's go and do another job now. Or you can come back to it later. There was none of that. It was always a belief. He believed in himself to reach... To reach... I'm not sure if it was Fort Rock Flats that he had as his as his goal. It was more the belief that he could, he could change the world with his cartooning. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Which is a fine tradition, by the way. A picture saying a thousand words, a fine tradition, going all the way back to the war cartoonists and, and beyond. Right. What did he make 
of how it became such a part of national life. And this was at a time before we were all spread on our different devices and platforms where the whole country would read the same damn paper, it seemed, or watch the same TV or go to the same film. What did he make of that success? Did he consider it success? From his point of view, I'm not sure it really affected him that much, to be honest. While he was always very grateful for the support and the fans and and the, the praise that he got and the awards eventually, uh, the award, um, he was always delighted with that. But it wasn't what motivated him really. So it, it actually worked a little bit in reverse for him because Foot has became somewhat of an obstruction to what he wanted to do. What the other things that he wanted the political to cartooning yeah yeah and and his by that by that time this is the, yeah by the, by that time uh, he also had other ideas that had sprung up in his mind other ideas for books that he wanted to uh, he wanted to get out and he, he, because of foot or flats he just didn't really have the time to to do that so something had to give Mason thank you congratulations Pleasure. again on the book and thank you for coming in Mason Ball and his biography of his father, uh, the late Murray Ball, is called... You've got the book. You took the book off me. There we are. <laughs> there we go. Murray Ball, A Cartoonist's Life. Mason, thanks very much. So that's the dog on the front page, right? You can tell that's me that dog's dog on the front name, page. That, that that's dog's a Finn. real dog. That's yeah, that, a real that, was dog. His, that was his own sheep dog that he got yeah. later on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that says it all, that image of... True love between man and animal. Yes, it is. And true love between father and son in this. Thank you. Definitely.